Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Uh, before I begin our discussion today, uh, Deacon Pat. Patrick, would you, I'm sorry, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in an opening prayer? Absolutely. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nuc in an ora mortis nostre. Amen. So the topic for today that we're going to be uh, tackling is Shepherding in the Midst of Gender Confusion. And um, the kind of the impetus for for this uh, topic is that uh, over the past week or so, um, some very high-ranking bishops and cardinals uh, in the United States have kind of been waging a public debate on what it means for the church to be inclusive or or what what exactly does that inclusion um look like (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) and you know uh in relation to um uh lgtb lgbt sorry and um and people with uh, gender dysphoria. So the the um, we know that this has been um, simmering for some time, but on uh, January 24th, uh, Cardinal uh, Roger, I'm sorry, Robert McElroy of uh, San Diego, he published an uh, an article in uh, the National Catholic Reporter uh, titled. Um, uh, radical, well, I'm sorry, he, he doesn't really give it a title, but he's, he's quoted as calling for radical inclusion um, for LGBT women and others in the Catholic Church. And, um, and then uh, both Bishop Barron, now of the Diocese of, I guess it's Winona, Minnesota, and Archbishop Samuel Aquila, of uh, Denver right here, um, both kind of, you know, issued public responses to that where, you know, they basically say that he's, uh, that Cardinal McElroy is kind of um, twisting maybe the meaning of inclusion and, you know, just exactly what what the church's response um, should be to people experiencing same-sex attraction and, and gender dysphoria and so forth. So, um, you know, the, 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 the real problem, of course, is that for um, a Catholic who's, um, a, a, you know, in the pews, so to speak, you know, they're going to be kind of left wondering who's who to believe, I think, um, in this debate. It's confusion about gender confusion, which I know uh, sends your editor uh, into an editing delete. There's too much confusion there. 
but uh... <laughs> redundant, as they would say. But <laughs> but it it is confusion about the confusion in the sense that um, there is gender confusion, and society is fueling and socially engineering gender confusion uh, through our education system, uh, through our, our government. Um, and, and through society, through entertainment, um, th there's active, uh, attacks on God's truth out there. And it's basically, uh, in, in the uh, early chapters of Genesis, uh, Satan asks both, uh, Adam, both Eve and Adam, cause Adam's standing right there. Did God really say, and and then almost all sin we're tempted by is some version of this question. In this case, it's, did God really say there are only two genders? And, you know, the fact that they keep adding letters of the alphabet to the point that they're confused about what letters to include and not include uh, in the LGBTQ whatever uh, list is actually part of the argument of you guys are making this up. Um, th this isn't based on reality or truth. Um, and we know that yes, God really did say there are only two genders, male and female. He created them straight out of Genesis. Um, the question that we're asking in this podcast is how do we shepherd amidst the confusion about the gender confusion. And there's a whole lot of foundational stuff that we may want to cover. Um, we've covered a good chunk of it in previous podcasts, but that doesn't help uh, unless you go back and listen to all of those. Um, but the, the, there's multiple things we have to consider. First of all, what is church teaching? And once we know what church teaching is, how do we apply that to a given situation? So if, if I come to Deacon Doug and I say, Deacon Doug, my kid is gender confused. She thinks he's a he, he thinks she's a she. What do I do? Doug's response is going to be very different to me than if I come to him and I say, Doug, I'm going by Deacon Patricia now. And, uh, so you need to, you need to be calling me that from now on. That's going to be a very different conversation. Um, and that's what shepherding is. Shepherding isn't church teaching. Shepherding is aiding one of Christ's flock to whom someone has been entrusted how do you take the next step from wherever they are toward Christ? And the road to Emmaus gives us a beautiful model of this. Jesus reaches out to the two disciples who have fled Jerusalem, having been told that Christ was resurrected. They've heard the truth. They're continuing to flee in fear and terror, creating a world that's their own and ignoring the real world. Jesus meets them on the road. They don't recognize him. 
and he asks them questions. And they're astounded that he doesn't know, that he must be the only one who doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem. And so they they tell him their story. That's part of shepherding. And that's the part that Cardinal McElroy is um, very passionate about. That's the horizontal beam of the cross. Let's meet people where they are, and then let's hear them. But that's not enough, and that's Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus says, oh, how foolish you are. And this is one of the most challenging aspects of shepherding is to how do you, how and when do you gently help somebody know, oh, how foolish you are. You're off track. You're not aimed toward Christ and Christ's truth and Christ's love. And then he walks with them. He continues to walk with them and open up scripture to them. So he opens up what we would describe now as church teaching to them, to specifically them in a way that they can hear because he walked with them initially and heard them. And so the church meets someone who is gender confused. And if they're interested in walking together on the road to Emmaus, then we can talk. Let's move forward. How do we reveal the love of Christ to them, shepherding them individually as Christ does? Because Christ goes after the one sheep. We talked about that in the last podcast. This is what that looks like. Um, and so, Doug, I think you uh, gave a presentation about what church teaching is, uh, having kind of given that outline of here's here's what the challenge is in the storm of shepherding uh, of all this uh, confusion about gender confusion. What is church teaching? Well, thanks, Patrick. It was many and many a year ago, and uh, we were doing a series of three presentations to, uh, I think, eighth grade students or, or students who are studying for either their first or second year of um, getting ready for a confirmation and their parents. And one of the lay teachers was asked to give a presentation about the interrelationship between science and faith and how those two things were complementary and not uh, in opposition to each other. And then uh, one of the priests was asked to give a a scriptural exegesis on uh, how John and his gospel use irony. And then I was asked as the deacon to just quickly explain what the church teaching is on same-sex attraction and uh, gender dysphoria. So I, that's easy to this day still think I got the (laughs) short end of the stick on that. But um, I walked up there in front of this group, um, probably 200, 300 people, and I was clutching my catechism of the Catholic Church to my chest because I, w- I at least told them I could at least tell you what chapter 2357 of the church teaching in the catechism says about same-sex attraction. But there's nothing in here is going to help me, I told them, uh, talk to you about gender dysphoria or transgenderism because in 1984, 1994, 1997, when the catechism was being promulgated, just wasn't even on the radar screen for people. It was 
Uh, it was still viewed uh, in the DSM uh, as a as a mental issue, and uh, so I told him, "I'm I, I, all I can come at you with is what the church says about homosexuality." And that chapter says it refers to relations between men and between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction towards persons of the same sex. So one of the things I sh I shared with them that hopefully helped clarify was the church has always drawn a distinction between inclinations uh, or desires and actions, right? So I think one of the things Pope Francis said recently is homosexuality is an inclination is not a crime, but homosexual, and I'm going to paraphrase, so this is probably dangerous to do, but that homosexual acts, that's what the church says are intrinsically disordered. And I said with same-sex attraction, I mean, that was same-sex attraction. I said with um, transgenderism, as the society would call it, or gender dysphoria, as a church refers to it, we talk about same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria as inclinations, which are not intrinsically sinful in themselves, but when they're acted upon, when parents or adults uh, or children act on those uh, inclinations, that's what the church can say is sinful intrinsically. And I said, you know, the church teaching on transgenderism, on gender dysphoria, uh, I don't know what to tell you all, except we kind of believe that God doesn't make mistakes. And yeah, is there a point zero zero one percent of folks who have some genetic abnormality or some uh, some health condition which makes things uh, difficult? Sure, that happens, but there's a lot of uh, genetic uh things that de people deal with. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what the church teaches about actions that are intrinsically disordered or are um, part of uh, a dysphoria. Well, and you've got classrooms where some massive percentage, 30, 40, 70% of the children after social engineering by the teacher come out as uh, gender confused. Um, and the human race would not have survived if that was an actual physical issue that was encoded in the genes. And that's how people were born, um, at that level and that frequency, there's, there's no way that that would be the case. This is clearly a social engineering issue. Um, and the, uh, referencing catechism, uh, paragraph 2333, the uh, code uh, in the code of student conduct for the um, policies and guidelines for the diocese of Colorado Springs, there, there's a great definition uh, description uh, of the theology behind church teaching on the, the part that you said Deacon Doug of God doesn't make mistakes. Um, the church teaches that our differences as male and female are part of God's creation plan and that our bodies, including our sexual identity, are gifts from God. According to church documents, the human person is a body-soul union and the body, created male or female, is an integral aspect of the person. As such, everyone, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his or her God-given biological sex and the sexuality that corresponds with that gift. 
And that's one of the key shepherding challenges in working with someone who is uh, gender confused or denying some other aspect of who God created them to be um, is getting them to recognize that God breathed into each one of us at the moment of our conception, a unique breath. And that we're each called to get to know that breath of God in us and breathe it into the world to help bring about the kingdom of God here and now in this world. And so each of us is unique by not being unique in that we each have a unique breath of God. And as parents, one of the key challenges we have is to help our raise our children so that they can come to know what is their unique breath of God. What gives them value, meaning, and purpose beyond comprehension? That's their human dignity. And what happens with gender confusion is society twists this because it's that it's Satan is at work here. Um, and, and twists it so that we think our un, uninformed conscience, our personal desires, what the saints would call our self, we need to die. Our self needs to die to Christ in order to be saved by Christ. Uh, psychology calls it the id um, or the, sorry, the ego, the self um, that needs to die. That's what Satan is, is using against us so that we don't come to know God's breath in us. And we go a different direction thinking that that sinful direction is us when it really isn't. Um, that's one of the challenges of shepherding is to help people learn to discern the difference between their inner sinner and their inner saint, uh, and that breath of God in them. And so that's the core crux, uh, challenge of, um, I use the word crux. We've talked in the past about how the crucifix is two beams, a vertical beam and um, that's the, the, the beam of justice, the beam of truth and the horizontal beam, the beam of love. And we're called to be at the crux where the sacred heart of Christ is. And in shepherding, we're called to meet people where they are and help them move toward the crux the sacred heart of Christ. And, um, Veronica, you had mentioned, uh, Archbishop Aquila's response. He has a, um, a, a beautiful and painful example of this. Um, in he's describing how, when he was, uh, in going through university, he would be in, uh, he would go to confession and the priests would yell at him. Uh, the confessors would yell at, he says, the confessors yelling at me or trying to talk me out of my sins. 
the truths of the faith, even the difficult ones, were not presented with charity. And that's that horizontal beam. And uh, throughout church history, we've erred either too much toward the horizontal or too much toward the vertical. And a lot of what Pope Francis speaks against is um, his experience of that vertical uh, without the horizontal. Um, but the crux of the cross obviously contains both. And you can't throw both out just because it looks like it's got the vertical in it. Um, you need both. You need the balance of both. And go ahead. Well, I was just going to say um, at the end of my presentation, I had exhorted the students and their parents that, you know, we have to love these folks and we have to walk with them and be with them and pray with them and pray for them because we all are sinners and we're all suffering from inclinations and we're all suffering from uh, temptations. And one of the students raised her hand and said, why do you keep talking about these people suffering from same-sex attraction or suffering from gender dysphoria? They're glorying in their new identity as uh, as, as a man or a woman. And it's like, yeah, okay, we're going to have to, you and your parents and I are going to have to talk afterwards. But, uh, <laughs> you have to meet them where they are. And and that's precisely what we see uh, the, the apostles and the saints and Christ do himself is draw people to the side and have individual conversations with them uh, because what they need to hear to help them advance forward may not be what the general population needs to hear. And it could lead to confusion. Uh, and so, you know, Pope Francis is infamous or famous for his uh, quotes on the plane. Um where he's addressing somebody in a very specific situation, but he's speaking generally and it gets broadcast to the world generally. And that, that isn't helpful. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I, you know, um, in terms of, uh, you know, we had mentioned, um, we, we were talking about, um, you know, how our, uh, Catholic schools, um, going to respond, you know, if, and I, I think, um, it's, it is important to point out that, you know, in the policy, um, that our diocese uses, it's, it states that gender dysphoria in and of itself is not a, a reason that a, a child can't be in this, in the schools. You know, what, what they're saying is that the child, um, is going to be required, you know, first of all, they're going to be um, addressed and um, required to wear um, uniforms that are in, in, court, in accord with their um, biological sex, you know. So, I, I mean, <clears throat> as you pointed out, Deacon Patrick, we have the phenomenon now where the, the, the numbers of, um, and it, it seems to be girls at this stage in the game, the number of girls saying that they uh, want to change their, their gender is, is way out of proportion, you know, to uh, what it should be for the general population. But, but uh, the research shows that traditionally 
um, gender dysphoria, it was a very small percentage and, and it was usually found in boys, you know. So so the thing is that someone may be wondering, um, you know, if they have a, a child in, in that that seems to be experiencing um, that phenomenon, you know, can they enroll them in a Catholic school? And I, I mean, I think the the question is definitely yes. It, or the answer, sorry, is definitely yes. It's just how is it going to be approached? You know, it's 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 going to um, that the school is going to try to work with the parents to, um, you know, affirm that that the the child is is a boy and you know i th i think the research also also shows that usually um the person experiencing gender dysphoria is has some some type of um psychological issue and they're identifying the source of that say depression as because because they were uh, because they're a boy or because they're a girl. So it's kind of, it's, it's misdirecting the, it's, it's misdirecting or misidentifying the cause of why they might be feeling that way. But, um, so, so the, the, I, I mean, I think the important, one of the main ideas that you want to get across is that changing the gender is not going to make them feel better. Right. And, and so, um, and actually, research shows it does quite the opposite once it's right, done. Right, right. Yeah, usually, <clears throat> you know, more depression and that kind of thing, you know. But I, I, I just wanted to, you know, point that out, that the Catholic schools aren't saying that um, a child that's been diagnosed with gender dysphoria can't enroll. It's just, again, how how are the school and the parents going to approach it? You know, what what Archbishop Aquila is saying here, you know, that we really do have to stand firm and true to the church teaching in in the long run it gets you know it gets you through these difficulties and you and you can have a good result and um you know so i i just i i really loved what he said in um towards the beginning of his um article he says cardinal mcelroy's reflection paints the church as an institution that harms due to its incapacity to welcome everyone into full participation in the life of the church. According to his eminence, the church categorically, categorically discriminates, but did not Jesus himself put demands on his disciples, which distinguished them from those who did not respond to the radical and costly call of the gospel. You know, and, and so I guess, you know, from my perspective, it's not that we're that that if we are practicing Catholics, these issues won't come up, you know, in our own um, families and in our own circle. But it's it's the response, and and um, I'm, you know, I just I think he um, does such a does such a great job of, um, as you mentioned, Deacon Patrick, you know, helping us navigate this confusion because it's it is the the pressure from society is overwhelming you know, just to kind of um, cave and say, no, that must be, that must be true. You know, that they, they were born the wrong gender, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So. Well, and you bring up an excellent point, Veronica, of parents listening, uh, whether they have young kids or uh, kids that are older, um, what can they do to help 
their kids where they are. And obviously the, the overall specific advice has to be specific to that situation. And without knowing those, we can't individually respond. But one of the things that uh, came to mind as you were talking, uh, Veronica, is we homeschool um, and that that automatically cuts out one of the huge influences of social engineering, uh, which is the public schools. And um, I think we need to perhaps as a church do more to support parents in being the primary educators of their children and helping parents know that, no, your responsibility for your eternal soul and the eternal souls of your children is to be their primary educator. Whatever that looks like in your situation, it may mean that you're involved in the public school to make sure that that can be uh, the right environment and uh, you can counter whatever is presented there. Um, but that the way it's done now seems like that would be a nearly uh, impossible task um, or uh, ensuring they're in uh, Catholic school and that the Catholic school is Catholic. It's not in that seventies, eighties um, kind of Catholic school, but public school with a Catholic label on it uh, or uh homeschooling um we also uh, as as they uh they didn't they don't use computers or phones or devices uh everything they do is analog and everything we've read says um that that's that helps their minds be stronger that's not they're not missing out on anything they can learn how to use those devices they're not that difficult um, and then they're, they're not exposed to social media. They're not exposed to, um, the, uh, the, the, uh, te television shows where there's now, uh, an LGBTQ relationship on every show, uh, that's bizarrely celebrated. Um, they're just not exposed to those things. And, uh, there's also a lot of resources on what does it look like to be uh, a manful young woman? What does it look like to be a manful young man uh, with theology of the body resources? Um, and as well as uh, I don't have them here because I wasn't thinking I would head this direction in the podcast, but uh, there's uh, some from the early 1900s. Uh, that just really gives some fantastic understanding of what education should be for each, um, both young, young girls and young boys becoming young men, young women. Um, and we haven't had to deal with any of these types of questions, uh, other than defending those, um, boundaries uh, and they've often called us on it when they're not comfortable and they see billboards that are bizarre, uh, as we drive through town type of thing. And that brings up questions. And so we, we talk about, okay, well, this is what society is. And, uh, they get a much different 
um, perspective because of that. And in, they have the choice of asking questions and learning more. Um, but it, it's a really challenging time to be a parent. Uh, it's, it's a really challenging time. I can't imagine what it's like to be a kid, uh, having to navigate all of this. And the more we can help them not be in the storm, but have clarity of faith in what our faith teaches, uh, that's the, that's the, that's the goal I think for, for each parent of how do we get the noise out of the system so that they can be surrounded by truth and beauty? Well, we're, uh, definitely uh, running over on time, uh, today with this discussion. So, um, before we have our closing prayer, we just want to remind everybody that, um, you can find this episode and all past episodes of, uh, Catholic Halos on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and several, several other platforms. So feel free to uh, check us out there and listen to uh, some of our past episodes as well. And um, subscribe and save. You'll save, well, since you're not paying anything, you'll save an infinite amount. <laughs> uh, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in a closing prayer? In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Thanks everyone for listening.